We're coming to the end of our series called Words from the Mountain, and I'm going to be mourning the loss of it, but we have this week and we have next week, and we're coming to the last words that Jesus says. So this is his most, this is his famous Sermon on the Mount, and he's coming to the end of it. He's giving us the last words, and what he's doing here is, is he's giving us a bit of a challenge, and he's saying, you've heard everything I've said. Now he says, how will you respond to this? And he says, however you respond, it's going to be one of two things. Either you will respond like a fool, or you will respond like someone who is wise. And, and, and I said this earlier, we had a sermon series on wisdom, and it was probably one of our most popular ones. And the reason is because everybody wants to be wise. But there is a very real chance that there are two people, both look equally wise, yet one is a fool because he's built his house on sand, and one is wise because he built his house upon the foundation that stands. And though, here's the thing. Those two people could look exactly the same on the outside. So what we're going to do today is learn how to be wise, and we're going to do this by looking at four points from our verses. So the two words, second point, the two houses, third point is the one test, and fourth point is the one rock. So the two words, the two houses, the one test, and the one rock, and we're going to read Matthew 7, so you take out your Bibles, uh, Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, and it says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now, verse 24 and then a few verses later, we hear that the one who does these words of mine, who is Jesus, so Jesus is saying, do these words of mine, and if you do them, you will be wise. But if you do not do them, you will be a fool. Now, how do we do words? It's a strange way that he, he phrases this. Those who do these words of mine. Well, first we want to ask, what are these words? And second, how do we do them? So the first is, what are the words? This is all that Jesus has said on this, in this great Sermon on the Mount. And if we were going to summarize all that Jesus has said in two words, we could do it like this. Believe and obey. So to summarize, this entire Sermon on the Mount is this 33 weeks where we've been in this. If you want to summarize it in two words, you would say believe and obey. But then, so then you have to say, well, he says, do these words of mine. Well, how do you how do you do believe? Like, that doesn't make any sense the way he's phrasing it. So, but look, it, it's, a, it's a command that he's giving us. It's an action to believe. So watch, 1 John 3.23 says, And this, this his commandment that we believe in is this. Believe, the command is to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. So the command is believe. But then it's also to love one another. And then there's another place in the book of Galatians where the command is this. This great command is love one another. And then Jesus says, 
Let me just sum up the entire Bible for you. And he says it's this, love God and love others. So the question then becomes, what does it mean to do these commands? Is it to believe? Is it to love God? Or is it to love others? And the answer is, it is all of them because they are bound together as one. They're all wrapped up in each other. You're going to do one, it's because you've also done the other. So here's what it means. Belief produces obedience in love. So here's basically a walk through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been at this for 33 weeks. Let me give it to you all right now. So God gives us this gift, which is faith. Like he's giving you, he's depositing faith in you. He's giving you this gift, and then he gives you the command to believe. So first he gives you belief, and then he commands you to believe. And then, after you believe, he's stirring something up in you where you're now changed, and you have this new desire to obey him, and you want to obey him. So then he gives you the command to obey. So he says, first he gives you the gift of belief, then he commands you to believe, and then he gives you the gift of obedience, and then he commands you to obey. So belief produces obedience in love. St. Augustine says it this way, love God and then do as you please. Meaning, if you love God, do anything that you want to do. And in that moment, if you love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, you will know exactly what to do. And you will be making the wisest decision you could be making because you're operating first out of a love for God and it's directing everything for you. So this, if you want to be wise... Believe, love God, and then do as you please, because you have been made right on the inside, and then you will obey. So here's what our problem is, though. The problem needs to be identified, and that's exactly what Jesus keeps doing in the Sermon on the Mount. And the problem is that me and you, we are all hypocrites, meaning, yeah, we love God, but then we don't at the same time. We love him, we believe, but yet we're not believing at the same time. And what that does is it, 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 it makes us go to this place to where anytime we have an obedience problem, if we read a command and we're like, oh man, I really should do this, but we can't seem to do it, it's because we have a belief problem. So a belief problem, therefore a love problem, and therefore a wisdom problem. Belief is always the solution. And so how do we believe? And what is it that we're supposed to believe in? So let's go back. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. So to believe means that we believe that Jesus loved us before we loved him. In fact, the way the Bible puts it is he died for us while we were still enemies. He loved us enough that he would die for us while we were enemies to make us not his enemies but his friends. Jesus didn't die for us because we were great. He died for us to make us great. Jesus doesn't forgive us because we love well. He does whatever is required for us to be forgiven to produce in us a love that was not there before. So let me just make it as clear as possible. Let's just do, let's imagine something. There's a, there's a little boy on a diving board. And his dad's in the pool and his dad's telling him to jump in. 
but this little boy doesn't swim very well, and so he doesn't want to jump in, and he won't listen to his dad. His dad is saying, no, jump to me, but he won't do it. And what's going on is he doesn't really fully trust his dad. Like he does to a degree, but doesn't fully. He doesn't trust his dad's going to be able to help him, and so what, what does he do? Well, he doesn't jump in. So his dad says, okay, I'm going to show my son how good of a swimmer I am. And so he dives down deep into the pool, and he swims the length of the pool, all underneath the pool, shows off to his son. His son says, wow, my dad's a great swimmer, but still he won't jump in. And so the dad says, okay. So he, the dad grabs the diving board and pulls himself up really close to his son, and he says, listen, I love you. And I'm not going to let anything happen to you. I promise. It's going to be fine. I, I am not only a great swimmer, but I'm a great swimmer who loves you more than any other swimmer. And I'm going to make sure nothing happens to you. In fact, I will die to make sure that you're okay. And then his father says, you know what your problem is? Is that you don't, you're trusting yourself. And you're putting your faith in yourself. And what I want you to do right now is put your faith in me that I'm gonna be the one who can pick you up out of the water and I'm gonna be the one that's gonna make you be okay. And then his, his little boy has a big smile on his face. He runs to the back of the diving board and then takes off running, jumps into the pool and his dad picks him up out of the pool and lifts him up and they both got a big smile on their face. All because now his son is coming to the place where he's not trusting in himself, but trusting fully in the love that his father has for him and his ability to keep him up above the waters. Our culture today tells you to believe in yourself. And Jesus says, stop it. Believe in me, not in yourself. He's saying, you cannot keep yourself up above the waters of sin and death. That is my job. So jump in this pool, but jump to me, not to yourself being your own rescuer. And a lot of our problem is our struggling to obey him has to do with the realization that we don't actually trust him. And so because we don't trust him, we're not jumping in, we're not listening to him, we're not doing the things that he's telling us to do because we're trusting in ourselves. And it could be that our biggest problem is in life is that we're trusting more in ourselves than we are in our Savior. And that's why Jesus says we lack wisdom. Because we can't do what is required because we know we can't quite measure up. And that brings us to our second point, these two houses. So what I'd like you to see is that these two houses look on the surface identical. But underneath, they are very different houses. But when you take a first look at them, there's nothing that you could tell different about these two houses. And, but, but here's what's happening. Jesus has been saying this all the way throughout the Sermon on the Mount. That there are two types of people that look exactly the same on the outside but on the inside are very different. And he calls those people that look, that, that with the wrong motives, he basically says that they're hypocrites. Underneath, they, the, let me say it this way. Your motives for why you do what you do all has to do with the foundation upon which you trust in. Whatever you trust in most will dictate what your motives are behind all you all that you do. So what is the difference in the foundation of these two houses? One is the rock and one is the sand. But practically speaking, what does that mean? Well, the sand, if you have a sandy bottom, 
You are the type of person who puts faith in yourself, in your own works. But if you have a rock bottom, it is because you're putting your faith in Christ, in his work, not your own. And those are very different foundations, and those very different foundations will direct your motives and give you the reasons why you're doing the things that you're doing. So faith in self produces one set of motives, and faith in Christ produces a whole different set of motives. Now, what you should be asking yourself is, where in the world did I come up with this idea that faith in yourself and in your own works is like sand, and faith in Christ is like the rock? Well, you got to look all the way through the Sermon on the Mount again, because that's what Jesus is doing. I mean, he's ending a sermon, and as he's ending it, he's referencing everything back to what he's already said. So what you understand is that the hypocrite's problem that Jesus kept addressing is that they wanted everyone to see how wonderful they were. Their motive was, everybody needs to see all of my great prayers, all of my fasting, all the things amazing that I'm doing, and they need people to see that so they feel like they have some type of foundation upon which to stand. And that foundation is all that they have done. And everybody's seeing all that they have done. But the person who trusts in Christ does not rest on their work but on the finished work of what Christ has already done for them. He is their rest. He is the one that they sit down upon and take a breath versus scurrying around trying to make this foundation great so that they might stand. So many of you are walking through this life like that scared little boy on the diving board. And you're scared to jump in, and you're scared to obey, you're scared to do whatever it is that you're doing because you are so desperately trying to do enough so that when you do jump in that water, that it holds you up. You have nobody to rely on except yourself and your own works. And you are desperately trying to keep yourself up above the waters of sin and death. And you're terrified. Because you're not sure if you've done enough. And it's likely, well, you haven't. That's the whole point of Christianity. So in order to ease this feeling, here's what people do. Uh, you look around, maybe you're, maybe you're on the diving board like you're like this little boy, and you look around at all the other little boys on their diving board, and you say, well, look at all that bad stuff they're doing. Oh, look at them and the way they're doing this. Look at that. And so you begin to judge them. And by doing that, what you're trying to do is bring them down so you can bring yourself up so you can feel like you have propped yourself up enough, like you've got some type of steady ground underneath you. And it's all the, the ways that you're doing that is making other people look bad and you look good in your mind so you feel like you have something to stand upon. Now my question would be, are you sure that this is how all that works? You want to spot someone with a sandy bottom. They look unstable. They judge others. And they look to be nice on the outside, but inside they are so angry. I've been watching this show called Justified. And the, the last, well, the first episode, the last thing that is said on the first episode, there's this guy, the main character, and he feels like he's a good guy, like he's a good dude. And he says to his, he basically says this to his ex-wife, yeah, I'm a good guy, I'm a kind guy. And his ex-wife says to him, you're the angriest man I know. And I think in a lot of ways that's all of us. 
we're, we're working so hard to, pe to appear good on the outside, but on the inside, there, we know there's something there, and we're, we're frustrated because we keep working so hard to be good, and nobody's noticing it. We don't feel like God is no noticing it. Our life isn't working out the way we want it to, and so we become angry. And I think that's probably true for all of us, and our, our problem is we aren't swimming with our Savior. We're trying to keep ourselves up above the waters, and it's exhausting. Christianity is about having a Savior who is a rock underneath you that keeps you up above the waters of sin and death. Your works don't keep you up. His work does. So think about it this way. There are some people who will never jump in because they're saying, I'm not good enough. So they, they avoid their Savior that way. They avoid God that way because they say, I'm not good enough. But there's another type who runs and jumps into the water because they think that they are good enough. They think they can keep themselves up above. And so they jump in and they say to their father, get away from me. I got this. I don't need your help. I'm going to do this on my own. They think their works are going to keep them up above the waters. They're not actually trusting in Christ, but in themselves. But the problem is, like all of us, they will get tired. At some point, they're going to do something wrong. At some point, they're going to make a major mistake, and that means their whole foundation has just crumbled. So what I want to do right now is get very practical about this. There are people who have spent their entire life in the church, and they look just like a Christian, but actually they're working so hard underneath to look like a Christian, to keep themselves up, but they're exhausted and they're angry deep down. There's like a, like a, a duck underwater is working so hard to keep themselves afloat, but the Christian is just simply sitting on rock-solid ground. So, here's what happens. Very typical story. Somebody says, man, all right, I'm going to buy into this whole thing. i got to get my life together. So the best place for me to keep myself up above the waters of sin and death is the church. So I'm going to go to the church, and I'm going to do everything right. In fact, I'm going to even maybe become a leader in the church. And you just look so pristine and good and right. All the while, you are working desperately to try to earn some type of acceptance from the people around you and from God. You're working for yourself to keep yourself up above the waters and you've never once actually gone to Christ. And it's a very common story. And it, it's the most foolish thing that you can do. Because eventually you're going to get tired. And eventually you're going to go under. And sometimes the best way to avoid Christ is to work so hard to be good so you never feel like you need a Savior. Very common story. So, then the question is, how do we know we've actually gone to Christ? That brings us to the one test. So sometimes, people think that they have gone to Christ, but when the test comes, it shows that actually they've never once gone to Him, and they have built their whole foundation on the sandy bottom that's about to give out. So what is the test? The test is the rain, the wind, and the flood. So if you want to know if you have really gone to Christ, when this test comes, if your solid foundation is Christ, you stand stable and strong.
But when the rain and the wind and the flood comes and you fall, you sink, then you know that you have been working desperately to keep yourself up above the waters yourself. So you look very similar on the surface to everyone who's a Christian, yet underneath, it's very different. It's the same as this little kid on the diving board. He, he has the foundation of his father, so he stays up above the waters. He stays up above the storm. But if he's putting faith in himself, eventually this kid is going to get tired. That's why he's scared to jump in, because he's putting his faith in himself. So practically speaking, what is the wind, the rain, and the flood? That's the key question to ask. Like, if you want to know if you're passing the test, what is the, what is the wind, the rain, and the flood? And mostly what it is, is is trials that are coming in your life. So let me say it this way. In the Old Testament, there's Eden. The very start of the Bible. And Eden is considered to be this mountain garden of God. And at the bottom of this mountain are these chaotic seas. And chaotic seas in the Bible represents death and suffering and wrath and just things are not the way they should be. But peaceful waters represent peace with God and everything is right. So in Eden, what happens is these waters bubble up out of the ground and this calm river forms. And things are as the, the way they're meant to be. But this water eventually gets further and further away from Eden and becomes chaotic. Well, here's what happens. When sin enters into Eden, God's people are expelled from Eden, which means they're getting further from these calm waters, and they're thrown into these stormy waters, these chaotic waters. And the message here is that Christ is the mountain garden of God. He is the new Eden come for us who are just desperately in this water, trying to make a way, so in need, and then... Our Savior comes as the mountain garden of God, and we climb up upon Him. So that's the message here. So the test is that when suffering and death come, it will reveal what we are. It will reveal what foundation we have built our life on. So we can't really learn anything about our death because we're dead, but we can learn something about our suffering. And our suffering is like the chaos in this world, and it will reveal who we are because we're going through a trial. And it's, uh, let me pause on that, let me say it this way. Not only are our trials just trials the way we normally think of, but also think about this water as the wrath of God. And now follow me here. The flood in the Old Testament, the floods come and it represents God's wrath. Now, here's the test. How do you respond to what I just said? How do you respond when I say God's wrath is coming for sin? So if it terrifies you, or if it makes you look down your nose at me for saying something like that, then you aren't likely on the solid foundation. Why would I say that? Well, for the Christian, the Christian does not fear the wrath of God because they are on Christ, the rock, who saves them from the watery wrath for sin because they're up above it. So Christ is taking that wrath instead of them because they're sitting up upon Christ who absorbs it all in their place. So the Christian also understands that if God is going to build the world that we long for, then he's got to do something about it so he can't stand for sin. So the only hope that the Christian ha has is they know to crawl up upon the rock. 
Now, so that's the, the wrath part of it. Let's look at the suffering, or this trials part. So this world is messed up. There's something wrong with it. It's moved from order back into chaos. The Bible says often about our world that it is cursed and fallen. So here's what that means. Eventually, trials will come your way. The rain and the wind and the flood will come. And the test is, does it take you down with it? The wise man isn't seeking because his foundation is Christ. So the Christian is like this kid being held up by his father. And this doesn't mean, well, this means that when suffering comes, when trials come, it means you don't seek. It, in fact, what it means is suffering and trials come and you all the more are wrapping your arms tightly around the neck of your Savior who is Christ. Um, it doesn't, though, mean, because here's what sometimes what we Christians do. Suffering and trials come, and we get a little bit mad at God about it, so we start swimming away from Him. But what Jesus does is He comes and chases us down, and He holds us up. Or sometimes we swim away, and we realize what we've done, and we turn back. But we're holding on to Him. All right, so let's get even more practical. When you experience trials, are you relying more on Christ, or are you relying more on yourself? Let me tell you something about the church today. The church today has not prepared us to suffer. The church today has not taught us how to suffer well. Not meaning that we should go run and suffer, but when suffering and trials come, the church has not taught us how to deal with it because I think that the church doesn't want to tell us about it because then we would go running away from it because we don't want to hear about that. But... Here's what that means. If the church is not talking about the reality of life in this world and the trials that will come, it means that the church is not producing wise Christians. Meaning, trials come and we don't know how to climb up upon the rock. So we keep trying to swim. The church ought to be preparing us. So let me prepare you to crawl up into his arms. So, so here's what sometimes happens. The rain, the wind, and the floods come. And when they come, we say something like this, oh, God must be punishing me. And it's likely we're making a mistake here. Uh, and so what we do, and here's the mistake we make. We start saying, I gotta fix this. How do I fix it? Well, I gotta start being good. So we, we start trying so hard to fix up our life. We, we're, we're changing our behavior and we're modifying it so that God will stop punishing us all the while. That's not what's happening at all. Uh, the, the idea that we are somehow going to get God to stop punishing us by being good is completely faulty. God, all, all of our rescue from any type of punishment is because Christ is punished in our place. And so it's not about us fixing up our life. It's about us crawling back into the arms of our Savior. So whatever the, this world brings, whatever trial, because here's what's going to happen. You're going to be tempted to think that way. Or sometimes trials and suffering just comes into this world because that's the way this world is. Or sometimes God will use our trials and our suffering to drive us back to him. 
or to drive us to him for the first time. Or, try this one on, sometimes God is disciplining us like a loving father. And he's doing, he's giving us exactly what we need so that we'll return to him and, and find ourselves back wrapped up in the arms of our Savior. But all of these, whatever it might be, whatever type of trial is coming, it's done to reveal who we are. To reveal what kind of house we are. So wisdom will bring with it gray hair and wrinkles. But the person who is truly wise, while on the outside they have experienced many trials, they've got gray hair or no hair because of the trials, they have tons of wrinkles, their soul has beautiful hair, it has no wrinkles because it finds itself in the arms of a Savior who will never let them go. So the testing is trying to get you to go to the rock. Or to build your foundation upon him more so than you already have. So the answer to all this, you want to be wise, what do you do? You jump upon the rock. The rock who is a sure foundation. The rock, the rock who is worthy to be called the rock. The very definition of what a rock is. The one who holds you up above the waters of sin and death. The one who holds you up above the waters of suffering and judgment. The one who holds you up above this curse. The one who is cursed so the curse might be lifted from you. See, on the cross, Jesus is the rock that is struck by the wrath of God for sin so that we could stay up above the waters of wrath and have peace all around us and enjoy our God and enjoy our Savior. Jesus on the cross is cursed so that the curse might be lifted from us. And he seeks into what awaits us so that he might lift us up into what awaits him. So, the wisest thing that you will do ever in your life is to crawl up upon the rock. Stop struggling in the waters. Stop building your foundation upon your own work and build your foundation upon Him. And then you will stand sturdy and strong and at rest. Let me pray for you. God, I pray that we would be people who are built who build our lives upon a sure foundation, the sure foundation of Christ. Give us whatever it is that we need that will cause us to jump all in with Him. Help us in our fear. Help us in all the ways that we don't trust You and show us all the reasons why that You are even better than that loving Father in the pool, but You are the perfect God, the one who swims up above the waters of sin and death so you could hold us up above. You're the only one who could do it. So prove it to us now. Bring us to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.